Hey there, I'm Ian. And I'm Rachel. And we want to welcome you to our Building Contenders podcast. Here we share messages, sermons, and our weekly conversations to equip you to contend for the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy it. Blessings. And so it says, you know, the kingdom of God. <laughs> Sorry. The kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but it is the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. And uh, we, you know, as I was praying for you guys this morning and thinking about you, and and just uh, when we go somewhere, we actually want to release an impartation of of the goodness of God, of what we carry, of who he's called us to be. Like, that's our favorite thing. And, um, you know, the Lord is always about restoration. He is always about making us bigger on the inside than even on, on we are on the outside. He's always about bringing that life to us and not death. It's wideness and not smallness. It's goodness and not evil. And that feels really like, oh, that's really, anybody would know that. But it's not always how we live. And, and sometimes we think our weapons are carnal. They're arguments or they're pulling, you know. But it's actually, it's peace, joy, and righteousness in him. It's his joy. It's his righteousness and it's his peace. He's the prince of peace. Um, and, and joy, I think, is one of our greatest weapons. It, it, it's the greatest weapon we have. And it's the one the enemy constantly goes after to steal our joy. Because all of us, I could ask you, who has walked through a difficult circumstance or is in the middle of a difficult circumstance? And I think the whole room could put their hand up. There's not one of us gets away with uh, a daisy unicorn life. We don't, like, we don't skip through the woods and filled with unicorns. And, um... <laughs> but we do get to walk it with Jesus. And, and we do get to pull on the joy of heaven, which is... Uh, what's the word um it's so expansive so the lord is always about expansion and and there's a scripture uh, that says you know this is me paraphrasing it it's don't be a smallie don't be a smallie like if you're going to carry joy carry a barrel of joy if you're going to carry peace bring enough for everybody to taste right um, <laughs> so if you, I just want to like pray over you guys this morning. So if you want to receive some joy, like just a, a, I don't know even how, portion or I don't know, extra, just get refreshed. I felt like refreshing is for you this morning. The Lord wants to pour out refreshing. So if that's you, you can stand or you can just put your hands up. And I just want to pray that over you. I want to release that refreshing joy over you. Yes, Lord. 
And would you do me a favor? So let's do this. This is fun. This is like a prophetic act of actually releasing joy. And it's not fake. I promise you, I'm not faking it till you make it. This is a prophetic act to release the joy you already carry. You have this in you, right? So when I say one, two, three, we're going to throw our heads back and we're going to laugh, right? We're going to do and, and release what we actually have, <laughs> okay? So, <laughs> one, two, three. <laughs> More, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. More, more. More joy, more refreshing, refreshing water, Holy Spirit. Refreshing, Holy Spirit. Refresh weary hearts, Lord. Refresh weariness. Lord, we break off weariness. We break off a heavy spirit, a spirit of heaviness. And Lord, you clothe us with joy, 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 joy. Come on. Joy, joy, Lord. Joy in yourself. Joy in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> joy, Lord, joy, childlike joy, childlike joy, Father, more joy in you, Lord, we bless you, we bless you, we bless you, we bless you, take it easy, take it easy, <laughs> his t-shirt says take it easy, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Holy Spirit is so fun, and he's so kind, and, and he wants you not to walk with a heavy burden. That's not why he, he, he wants us. That's not who he is. And, and this place is filled with the angelic who are like looking on. They're looking on because they, they don't really understand why the Father loves us so much. They don't really get it. Because they've been in, in the turn, like they've been for a millennial looking at the face of Jesus. But we get to choose if we look at his face. We get to choose and stay there in this place of adoration. And when you are in this place of adoration, you cannot, <laughs> you, you cannot stay miserable. You cannot stay miserable because he is so beautiful. So, Lord, I just, for all these hungry hearts here this morning, the ones who, who need a touch from you, who need refreshed, who need that circumstance to shift, Lord, we just come and we lift our heads. You are the lifter of our heads because you want to remind us of where our, our strength comes from where our hope comes from. And Lord, this morning, we just release in the name of Jesus a deposit of hope, a hope in the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, the one who is crazy about us and knows us more than anyone. And so Lord, we bless this church. We bless Empowered Life Church. We call it into everything that you have for it. We call it into uh, more, Lord. More. Bring the prophets, Lord. Bring the prophetic. Release that, <laughs> that anointing in this house. 
God, you love these people. You, you love them. And so, Lord, we pray uh, as we continue just this morning that you would shift, shift any heaviness. You would, you would shift it, Holy Spirit. And if we need to laugh more, I think, you know, um, you can sit down. <laughs> I'll just say one more thing before Ian uh, comes and brings the word of God. Um, <laughs> aren't you, love? Amen. 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 I think it's not a coincidence that the, I always look for things that are happening that are unusual. I love that. Um, I know. I agree. I agree. But I, I look for what, so this morning the children's worker didn't make it. She wasn't well, I think. Isn't that right? And, and I, I, I just think, well, what, like, what's the Lord saying? And I think it is that being like children, just being like children, and they disrupt things. They don't care. They tell you exactly, you know, not that I'm saying you all should disrupt everything, but... But, but it's that, it's just that beauty of, and simplicity of a childlike yeah. faith that cries, mommy, daddy, you know, look at me, look at me, mommy. Um, and I just love that. So I pay attention to those things. So I really, this, just the sense I had this morning was just the love of God for you guys, just his heart for you for expansion of joy. Because if, if joy is our strength, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The more joy, the more you can carry. The more joy, you, the less anxiety. Joy nudges out anxiety. Joy strengthens our bones and, and brings us to life. So I, I bless you, and I bless you where you find yourself because the Lord will always want to bring more goodness. So bless you guys. Amen. Hi. Hi. The, the, the difficulty is, you know, you, well, there's a lot of difficulties. Um, one of the difficulties is in a prophetic environment, you, you kind of want to, you get stirred up by the prophetic. You know, when you're in a prophetic environment, it's like, has Saul become one of the prophets too? You get sort of get stirred up by that sort of atmosphere. So I want to tell you everything I know. I'm going to tell you everything I know, so we may be here a while. Um, and everything that the Lord has been doing in us, you know, like the, the, the joys of being, um, you know, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, the joys of like being the gift to the church is that you get to walk out stuff that people, you get to be the message. Right? That's why the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked, you know, so that you don't have to be. But you can learn all the, all, all the lessons from being shipwrecked with ever, without ever having to be shipwrecked. Does that make sense? Like, you, you know, it's like Jesus became poor so that we don't have to be. Right? He will be able to teach us and impart the lessons so that we don't ever have to be poor. 
poor accent? Does that throw you? No? Okay. When we first came over to be interviewed, um, I, was, I came over to be interviewed as the youth pastor. I worked 17 years full-time with teenagers despite the smell. <laughs> Sorry if you're a teenager. <clears throat> you know, it, it's... Um, so, yeah. And I came over to be interviewed, and the kids were sort of... The teenagers were interviewing us, and I happened to mention, you know working with the poor, and they thought I said purr. They're trying to figure out what working with a cat's meow kind of like has got to do with anything. So, uh, so it is, but it is this notion of Jesus becoming something so that we don't have to be. It even says that in scripture, you know. So um, he became poor so that, so that we can be rich. So anyway. Uh, so yeah, I get to, I want to tell you everything and I can't tell you everything. So it's, what am I going to tell you? Well, let, let's start out with this. Isn't it funny how with prophetic people, everything's prophetic? The children's worker wasn't able to make it. It's prophetic. It's the Lord. And all the prophetic people are going, I don't see the problem. Meanwhile, you know, all the, all, all us normal people. Let's just call it normal people are like, oh, the poor soul, I hope, hope they're okay. And the prophetic people are like, yeah, we hope they're okay too, but it's a sign and a wonder of what God's communicating to us. So, um, but here, here's, here's one of the things that I think God, and I don't think God, here's one of the things I, I know that God wants every believer to know, and it's this, and it's a nice little tweet. Uh, it's that sort of little tweetable thing, which is this, that your life is moving in the direction of your dominant thinking and the speed of your obedience. So if you're complaining about your life, you should change your dominant thinking and the speed of your obedience. Like we have, this, we have this thing within Christianity that is largely a scarcity mentality. And I'm gonna go after the scarcity mentality here a little bit this morning. So we have a scarcity mentality and all you people that are thinking, I have an abundant mindset. The Lord has beaten that out of me over the last 50 years. I do not have a scarcity mentality. I promise you there's another level. Like, I promise you there's a whole nother level to go to, and it would be great if you could get it when you're younger. It, it would be amazing if we could actually get this growth mentality and not the business that I have arrived. Um, to point, you know, point to the person that you love or that's sitting close by you and tell them that they haven't arrived yet. That's, that's kind of, that, that thinking is at war. The notion that I have, I have arrived is at war with the kingdom. D does anybody think the kingdom has fully come? Uh, it's a trick question. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Let, let me give you a clue. The kingdom has not fully come but it is coming. The kingdom is advancing, right? The kingdom is advancing. That's where we're in the business of. So that means you're, you haven't fully arrived. The apostle Paul said, it's one of my favorite pieces. One of my favorite books at the minute is the book of Philippians. And I love when the apostle Paul says, not that I have arrived, 
He's writing that in a jail cell in Rome. And he's telling people how to rejoice. I say again, rejoice from a jail cell in Rome that your life is not over, this is not the end. And that's actually something that I believe God is releasing on the earth at the minute. And I want you to, I want you to get this, I want you to get this. Again, I'm trying to tell you everything I know. Today, what is this, November the, oh, it's Guy Fawkes Day? Oh, wow. Guy Fox, remember, remember the 5th of November, and Ivan's going to England. Oh my goodness. Doesn't matter. It's prophetic. It's a sign and a wonder. Like on November the 5th, I, I want you to know this. Thus saith the Lord. I am saying this as if it is the Lord standing in front of you right now, because I'm that confident of what I'm about to release. This is not how you end. This is not how it all ends for you. Like today, whatever you're walking through, this is not how it ends. That's good news. Right, your, your, your life is moving from glory to glory. Sometimes, truthfully, your, your life moves from glory to glory. Right, because we're all involved in what we're called, what we call the great and terrible day of the Lord. It is both great and terrible, but the dominant thinking matters. If you only concentrate on the terrible, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna have a terrible existence. But if you can concentrate on the great peace and just accept the fact that sometimes there's wet Wednesdays in November. My dad was buried on a wet Wednesday in November when I was 11. Sometimes there's wet Wednesdays in November. This is life, but it is the great and terrible day of the Lord, right? And we can, we can just set our mind on the, on the great peace and accept the fact that uh, these things will not kill us, that this is not where it ends. Rachel quoted um, from, well, she didn't quote, she paraphrased, 2 Corinthians 6, this don't be a smallie, right? Don't be a smallie. Really, like that's, that's one of our kind of, well, certainly one of Rachel's things is stop being small. And this is where it, this is where it comes from. It's 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, and this is at verse 11 to 13, and it's from the message. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. This is the word of the Lord. You're to open up your lives. You're actually supposed to be living bigger. But then what we do is we get into this scarcity thing and we say, I don't want to overtake the Lord. Like I don't want to get in front of the Lord. Are you kidding? It's like God has only got a certain amount of like awesome to spread around. What are we, communists? We're not communists, are we? Like we're not like saying there's only X amount and we're gonna redistribute that evenly amongst everybody. We're not talking about that. God is not a communist. Like this notion, I've heard people say, well, Jesus was a socialist. Jesus wasn't a socialist. Socialism didn't exist then. Jesus was king of kings and lord of lords. Like that's who Jesus was coming, so coming and ministering as 
God fully man? Like, a, no, 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 no. But we sometimes get into that like, well, I'm afraid of stealing his glory. Trust me, you're not that good. You're amazing. But the angels are sort of captivated by this mystery of salvation. Like, you did what for them? Right? And we have all, all that identity, you know, all the identity stuff that, we, that, we, that even I teach. It's like, you know, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're fantastic. You're nothing like God. I love the bit where Job is sort of like in a bit of a funk. Job, the book of Job, right? He's in a bit of a funk. And, um, you know, which is, in my humble opinion, was caused by his dominant thinking. Right? No, you're not sure. It says in Job, the thing that I feared most has come upon me. The thing that I interceded around, the thing that I dwelled on, the thing that I nurtured, the thing that I feared most has actually happened to me. And then God gives him back everything and doubles it, right? Um, so the, this, this piece in Job, and he's in this bit of a funk, and then God just stands up and said, who do you think you are? Were you there when I formed the mountains? Were you there when I split the seas? Remember, you're a man, and I'm God. And then here we are like, well, I'm afraid of getting ahead of God. It's lack, it's scarcity. It's not understanding how amazing Yahweh is. And it affects everything we do. It affects what we do in church. We, we were in Bethel this week. Um, I've been going there probably about 16 years. Uh, there's years I would go six times from Chicago. We lived in Chicago at the time uh, before we started to suffer for Jesus in San Diego. Um, <laughs> the reward of our suffering. <laughs> and... The thing that impresses me most about Bethel, one of the things that impresses me most about Bethel is they invite you into their culture. And you might say, well, I didn't get a seat reserved and other people got a seat reserved and this isn't fair. And they're like, I know. I know. Uh, you're welcome to come or not. It's up to you. But you're not going to change the culture of the place. Like that, like Bill is absolutely resolute in that. You, you know, people coming in do not get to change the culture, even though it's not fair. You understand that the kingdom is not about justice. There's a great divide in this country about people that are going after justice, and we need justice, and we need justice. The problem with justice is that it leaves everybody blind. It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if you kill someone, you get to kill someone of theirs. Right? It's the Hatfield and the McCoys all over again. This is the problem with justice. The kingdom is not about justice. The kingdom is about righteousness. Listen, if you even view, if you view society through that lens from this point forward and you hear people crying, justice, justice, it's not justice. Because Proverbs even says that to, to, even to the unrighteous, mercy is cruel. 
So rather than your child being brought up in poverty, we're going to terminate. Because to the unrighteous, mercy is cruel. It sounds like a merciful thing, but it's unrighteousness, right? So we, we, we want justice and we want justice. No, we have to change our focus and we want righteousness. And with righteousness comes, well, with the kingdom comes the restoration of all things, which is different than justice. Anyway, I might have lost some of you there. So, so we are invited, you know, what, what, what Beth will do is they invite people into this culture and say you're not changing this culture. But what, what we have a tendency to do is we go into the world and we invite the world to change us instead of us like having this culture. So the world might be saying, oh my goodness, recession, politics, elections, ah. And we allow ourselves to be changed by that instead of saying, actually, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Let me ask you a question. And I know the answer. I know the, I know the prophetic answer, the, the wannabe answer, but I also know probably what you do. So I'm going to pick an Ivan because he's not here. Uh, so if we could edit this out, this would be great. No, just do it. <laughs> Ivan is currently protecting unlimited resources. Ivan is currently using very limited resources to protect unlimited resources. Want me to explain? He's protecting... He is using time and energy to save money. You would do the same. We all do the same. Rather than flying business class direct to Manchester in England, no, no, it's going to take like three days to get there because it's cheap. And yet the thing that we know is we don't have all the time in the world. We don't have all the energy in the world. We're, the, the, those, are, those are limited. And yes, I know we have an eternal perspective and all that, but eternal perspective for saving three grand on a flight? Tan, I, I, I don't, you know, it, it's what we do. We have allowed the priorities of out there to come into our lives, that we protect infinite resources and we spend our finite resources to do that because you know our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills that should be infinite that should be something that we have but you start talking about that in church and people are like well stewardship stewardship shouldn't be small like stewardship isn't about saving money stewardship is actually about using your resources to do the things that god has put you on earth to do and making sure you can do more of them and making sure you're you're refreshed and you're good and all of that so it's just this scarcity thing and when it comes to scarcity it's largely around a couple of issues I don't want to be big because if I'm big, then someone else is going to be small. Says who? Karl Marx? 
Like, who says that? Who says this stuff? We just took communion. I might change communion for you forever, right now. I'm going to change it. Are you okay with that? What do we do? What do we do when we take communion? I, I was brought up, you know, I got saved when I was 15. None of my family were Christians, wasn't brought up a Christian. And God intervened in my life and, I, and changed the direction for all my generations to come in one moment like that. Right? It wasn't just me. Like, it was my children. It was my, it's going to be my grandchildren. Their, their futures were changed on May the 2nd, 1980 at 2.30 in my bedroom. Right? Incredible. God had, I had this encounter earlier on this year, I think it was, with the Lord when he brought me into my bedroom at that point, And you could see all of the future changing because of that one decision. Incredible, right? So I started to go to this church. And we, we, all our meetings were centered around the Lord's table. And we would, oh, on Sundays, our, our Sunday meeting was centered around the Lord's table. And people would weep because of their sin. Right? They would weep because of, you know, you got to examine yourself before the Lord and do all that. Not take this lightly. And I want to change all of that for you this morning. If you're interested, the Vatican has an app that you can use to record all your sins. <laughs> so that when you come to confess them or you come to communion, you can just go through that list of sins. That sounds like a fun way to spend your day, doesn't it? <laughs> Inventing an app to count your sins. So, let, let, me, let me change. So Jesus, I don't know. Y'all know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, you should know Jesus. There's nobody like him. All right? But Jesus is a little bit, a little bit um, multidimensional. Right? So, so here he is. He's walking. I don't know if he walked like that. He's, he's on earth. You know, he's this, this little Middle Eastern man, and he's walking on earth. And he liked to do things in a way that sort of blew, people, blew people's minds. Like, he was like the Tony Robbins of the day. I mean, he was. He was attracting, in cities of 20,000 people, he was attracting 7,000 people to come and listen to him. It's a lot of people. And, and they were going with him for like three days, following him in, in the wilderness with, for three days. And, you know, he was kind of a big deal. But he would do these things. You, you see these things recorded in Scripture, and, and it's, I love them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to, I'm going to read, I'm going to read some of the Bible. This is from Luke chapter 5. Jesus was standing by, the lake, by this lake, I'm not going to try and pronounce it, and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowd from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word I will lower the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. You're familiar with that story? Awesome. It's a, it's a bit dramatic. Right? It's Jesus getting into the boat, telling them to go out a little bit of the boat, preaches to everybody and says, let's show them. 
let's, let's show them what, what this is all about. Cast your nets. Whoa, boom. There must be something on this guy, right? There must be something on this guy. What, look at all the fish he caught after catching nothing. Try the other side. Here we go. This is awesome. And then Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Uh, for Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, uh, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Then in Luke chapter 22, uh, we, have the, we have Peter. Then they arrested Jesus, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. And when they had made a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, so, but when they had made a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, right? So they made a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Then a slave girl sang him as he sat in the firelight, stirred at him and said, this man was with him too, but Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Then a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. But Peter said, man, I'm reading from the New English translation. <clears throat> and he's not going, man, he's going, man. Um, I am not. And after about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man was with him because he too is a Galilean. <clears throat> but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And at that moment, while, the, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter, Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You're familiar with those stories, right? Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke wrote about them, and then John does this. Uh, this, is, this is John chapter 21. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, now, this is how he did so. Simon Peter Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, and two other disciples of his were together, and Simon Peter told him, I am going fishing. We will go with you, they replied, and they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, just this is a little aside. Um, look, I'm going fishing. Right? This, this wasn't like I'm going fishing. This was Peter who was completely confused about what was happening, and he disqualified himself from ministry at this point. He disqualified himself because of what he had done. If you remember, it was the disciples going to see Jesus at the tomb, and Jesus said what? Tell Peter. And I know Peter came later, but, but it's like, tell Peter. Because Peter had disqualified himself from actual ministry and effectiveness in life. And what you did in those days when you failed as a rabbi, when you were trying to be a rabbi and going after this rabbinical thing, when you failed that at any time from you were five years old until you were, well, Peter was probably about 20-something, 20 22. Uh, until that time, there were only two, there were only two people in the, among them that were over 20. I don't know why you need to know that. There were only two of them over 20 because you only paid the temple tax if you were over 20. And so there was enough temple tax for Jesus and Peter. 
So Peter was the oldest. He was probably like 21, 22, something like that. But the rest of them were maybe 13, 14, 15, 16. Imagine a 15-year-old apostle. Can you imagine the mistakes they make? Crazy. And yet they're changing the world. They're turning the world upside down. But they're 15, 16, 17, and making all the sorts of mistakes you would expect for, for teenagers to make. But anyway, so, so Peter's there, and he said, I'm going fishing. So he had disqualified himself and went back to the family business. How many times do you do that? Things get hard. You realize that you're not all that you thought you were. You get criticized by people, and you decide, I'm actually just going to go back to what I did before, right? This is what Peter was doing. He had disqualified himself from being effective in the kingdom. This is a scarcity mindset, right? There's, there's, there's too many people in the kingdom right now that are coming in the land. We were in Ohio last year. We went to Ohio. We're flying into, in, into Columbus, and the plane was just coming down. I was like, brace yourself, people. Whoop! They had to take off because there was another plane having trouble, and they needed the land. So we thankfully didn't even touch, but it was one of those things like you're coming. I, again, I thought it was prophetic. Because <laughs> there are people that are coming in to quit. Because <clears throat> the <clears throat> coming in to retire, Coming into, <clears throat> this is it, life's over, all I have to do is come into land, and I'm just going to coast for the rest. No. Just no. This is not how it ends for you. This is not how it's supposed to be finished. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, enjoy my grandkids and my great-grandkids and live off Social Security and eke my way through it. No, this is not how it's supposed to end for us. We're not supposed to quit at any point. Where is the Caleb spirit? Where is the Joshua spirit? Give me my mountain. Like it's kind of like a little bit missing a little bit in the church at the minute. I've got people, I, I see people who are in their 20s and 30s saying, give me my mountain. What happened to the 80-year-olds? What happened to us? I'm not 80, just to be clear, but what happened to us? Like what have we believed that says, no, this is supposed to be how it ends? Listen, you're going to be a long time in eternity. And I, 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 I get there's an unhealthy bit of all that. But there's an unhealthy bit of like there's people praying for your, the, there's people praying for an answer and you carry the answer, but you've decided it's too much like hard work and I'm not going to bother. So I'll just come into land and I'll all be fine. Where is that? What, we're not supposed to be quitting. It's supposed to be by faith and perseverance that we win. So Peter is going off. He's going quitting. He's quitting. He's got it. <clears throat> That's it. I know. God would never have me. I don't need those. <gasps> I'm healed. No, I'm just joking. It's just I'm far enough away from it. <clears throat> um, when it was already very early morning, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He was undercover Jesus. It's like the, the, you know, the, you know, the Jesus on the road to a mess. It was like, Secret, secret Jesus, you know. The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? 
And they replied, no. And he told them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they threw the net and they were not able to pull it in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who incidentally is the writer of this um, particular passage, then the, writer, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So Simon Peter, listen, it is the Lord. We need the Johns of this world to be pointing and saying, this is the Lord. So Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, tucked in his outer garment, for he had nothing on underneath it, and plunged into the sea. That The outer garment, what, what they did in the culture at the time is you got a jacket to wear according to your trade. So fishermen, instead of having a license for the game and fisheries department, they would wear a jacket that says, I'm a licensed, I'm a, I'm a legit fisherman. So Peter is actually, again, he's reaching for something that is his identity apart from Jesus. Before Jesus, he's reaching and putting this thing on to, to just to affirm that, don't, don't forget I disqualified from myself, it's okay. Like when people were, were taking alms in the streets, you knew they were legitimate because they had a, a jacket that said you're legitimately not able to work and it's our responsibility to provide something. That'd be a great system, wouldn't it? That you could actually look after the poor. Anyway, whole other topic. So, so he, he put this on and plunged into the sea. Meanwhile, the other disciples came with the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about 100 yards. And when they got on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire ready with a fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just now caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and pulled the net to shore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But although there were so many, the net was not torn. Come have breakfast. But none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So this is what, and then Jesus goes into this thing, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? One for each. We know this, right? One for each denial. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. But Jesus is doing it like way better than that. Like it's, it's this drama that he's, that he's bringing about. He's got, like what, what, would Peter, what would Peter be smelling when he was denying the Lord? The fire, the charcoal, right? He's smelling this charcoal fire, this barbecue that's going on. And then Jesus brings him to a beach, reminding him of the barbecue, like this sensory thing that Peter's gone through, right? This sensory remembrance, like smell is one of those things. I can't smell blood without tasting it. I can't even say blood without starting to taste blood and smelling the blood. It's, you know, the, this smell thing is so potent. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's bringing all of Peter into all of this moment and saying, I got all this covered. But here's the thing. Because of your failure, the abundance doesn't stop. That's good news. Like there's this thing in, in society at the minute where we're all really vigilant. Like there's this hyper vigilance going on because we're all afraid to be scammed. Is that a real email? Is it not a real email? 
you know. Was that you on Facebook? Was it not you on Facebook? I don't know. Right? We're, we're, we're doing this, and, it's, and it's, it's somehow making us smaller. But what Jesus is saying, hey, despite your failures, you might even have got scammed once, but I still want you to be abundant. And what we do is we're like, well, I don't know if we can be trusted with that. Listen, we're in the middle of this at the minute. We, we're, yeah. I might share that, but maybe not. So Jesus is restoring Peter in a multi-sensory, dramatic encounter. He likes the drama. Don't like drama. You know, I don't mean drama. Like, oh, too much drama. But he likes this being this dramatic thing to bring all of us into this place. We've probably all had those kind of encounters. So let me read from Mark. In those, this is Mark chapter 8. In those days there was another large crowd and nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already been here with me for three days and they've had nothing to eat. If I send them home, hung, home hungry, they will faint on the way and some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where can someone get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they replied, seven. Then he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and after he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, he broke them and began giving them to the disciples to serve. So they served the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after giving thanks for these, he told them to serve these as well. Everyone ate and was satisfied, and they picked up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 who ate, and he dismissed them. Immediately he got into a boat. Matthew chapter 14. This is a different, this is a different event. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, we, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down in the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men plus women and children. You know where I'm going with this? While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. <clears throat> and after taking the cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
those disciples would not have seen that as an isolated incident. They would have seen it in the context of barbecues and fish and casting your nets on the other side. They would have seen this in, as a Jesus who is constantly reminding them of what happened before. The testimony of, of feeding the 4,000, the 5,000, 7,000, like Jesus invoked the testimony and the memory of him providing abundantly for everybody who came. That's what's happening when we break bread. He does exactly the same thing. He takes the bread, he gives thanks for it, and he breaks it. They would have immediately been brought back to that place where Jesus said, I got this. I know these people have nothing. I got this. And what we have made it out to be is this sort of miserable experience. This place of misery where we're coming and like remembering, you guys didn't, you did great this morning. Generally in the church, it's this place of misery. Oh Lord, I am not worthy. It's not the point. The point is I have got you. I have got you and I've got you abundantly. That my abundance is way more than your scarcity. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. And yet we're walking in this mindset of lack that there's only enough to go around. Absolute, complete, and utter Marxism. It is a Marxist spirit that says this into the church, there's only so much to go around. There is not. There really isn't. He is a God of abundance. He creates something out of nothing. This, is about, this, this Lord's Supper, the, the Eucharist, is about creating something out of nothing. A promise that says, I will exceedingly, abundantly provide for you. But do, do I believe that that is just about money? Oh, heck no. Absolutely not. Do I believe it includes money? Oh, heck yes. Right? But it's not just about money. It's about everything. Like those of, you, those of us that are counting the days and saying, oh, I maybe only, you know, only have my last, you know. I, I play golf badly. And I was playing golf with this guy and he had just changed his car. He just bought a new car. And I'm like, oh, Bob, that's sweet. You got a really nice, you know, you got a really nice um, car. I won't tell you what it was. Cause you'll all be like, judge me for playing golf with people like that. But <laughs> this, is, this is a guy who's in his 70s. His he's like, hey, Ian, it's the last car I'll ever buy in you. Like this is the last one. And I thought, I'll just buy it. Cause I'm not gonna buy another car again. Like, stop thinking like that. You know, we just got a roof replaced in our house in Chicago. And it's like, that's probably the last roof I'll ever replace. I'm prophetically decreeing that. I'm not saying because of my age. I'm just, this roof will last forever. His throne will last forever. Our roof will last forever, right? <clears throat> but we, 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 have, we can't do this. This is abundance. Like, we have been brought into this place of abundance. And, and we're walking around like we don't have access to abundance. Now, I, I, I gotta say, we've been doing these Bethel, I don't have to say, but I'm gonna say it just because this, this is not the views of the management of Empowered Life Church. <laughs> just wanna say that as a caveat. This does not necessarily reflect the views of the management of Empowered Life Church. I hate the phrase checks in the mail. I hate it. Like, I just hate it because we're all waiting on someone rescuing us. 
That's what this is about. Someone rescued us. Someone has already given us the power to be wealthy and we're sitting around waiting on someone else. Right, we're not victims. I'm not this victim waiting on you giving me like a million dollars. But if you'd like to, just remember there's two L's. If you're writing that check, there are two L's a million, right? But it's not like there's a difference between being grateful and being this sort of victim, I'm waiting on somebody else. You know your health is in your hands. You know your wealth is in your hands. You know your relational dysfunction is in your, is, is actually in, you, you got it. You can do stuff about all of that. God is giving you the power to do stuff with all of that. And I'm not waiting on somebody else rescuing me. And I'm not saying that as like this little orphan who's like, I'm not waiting. No, because God has already done it. Like he actually, he, he reached from eternity into time and space to say, I am making a way for every single one of my children. And we just need to break off this lack, this scarcity thing. It's interesting. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. If you're living in lack, there's a chance the Lord is not your shepherd. Ouch. <laughs> right? Oh, well, you know, nobody loves me. Well, there's a chance the Lord isn't being your shepherd. Oh, I'm always broke. Well, there's a really good chance the Lord isn't your shepherd. It's, I, I've been kind of stuck in Deuteronomy. I've been Deuteronomy and Philippians. I, I know that you're all better covenant people, right? We have a better covenant with better promises, according to Hebrews. We have a better covenant with better promises. And yet in this, so if it, what's the opposite of better? Okay, I'm going to go with that because you said it, not because I'm saying it. So in this worse covenant with worse promises, we are told that there shall be no poor among you. And it wasn't because of the redistribution of wealth, right? That, that happened in another time that if people were foreigners were coming in, we would look at, the, the people of God in Deuteronomy would look after them and make sure they were taken care of. But as for the people of God, there shall, like the decree is there in a worse, you said it, a worse covenant with worse promises. There shall be no poor among you. And here we are walking around wondering if, if it's legitimate to have money. And if it is, it's certainly not legitimate for people in ministry. Unless that ministry is business, in which case it is. I don't know. I get very confused by our terms a lot. We're all in ministry. But pulpit ministry can't earn money. It's a bit strange. I won't go there. And we, we come in with these sort of biases. And th I, I, the Lord said to me recently, he said, you know the people that determine your view on wealth and prosperity and money are the poorest people you've ever met? Those are the people that are actually, you know, I'm quoting my mother at times when I'm talking about money and I realize, oh, she didn't have two cents to rub together. Instead of it being the Lord, 
You know, like I remember years ago, there was this whole thing. Can we, there was this debate. Can you be a Christian and drive a Mercedes? Like, can you be a Christian and drive a BMW? It's like God all of a sudden cares what you drive. I, I don't think he cares what you drive. I think he cares what's driving you. Like, I think that's the thing. He's like really cares about that. And, and, and the thing is, the best thing you can do for the poor is not be one of them. Did you hear that? Like, the best thing you can do for the poor is not be one of them. Okay. That, that seems really good advice to me. Because what you have in Scripture is you have this, you, you have this story of, um, let's take it in what would be modern times. You have the story of a Palestinian who sees a Jew beaten up by, the, by, by, by robbers. And that Palestinian is able to come and take that Jew and bring him to a hospital and get him all taken care of and pay for his room and board. And he's known as, in Scripture, he's known as the Good Samaritan. Right, they were the enemies of the Jewish people, the Good Samaritan. You know he's only the Good Samaritan because he had money. Well, he's not only that because, we, I mean, if it was a different story, it could be, if he was in the church at the minute, it could be, you know, the Samaritan who was really good at fundraising. The good fundraising Samaritan. So, there, you know, the the... Jewish people are being beaten up by robbers. We're going to start a not-for-profit, and we'd like your donations for that not-for-profit, and they'll be tax-deductible, and we're going to raise money for your not-for-profit that's going to help these Jewish people. Hallelujah. Or maybe, maybe he wouldn't have done anything about it, and he would have been called the well-intentioned Samaritan. Like the well-intentioned Christians who see widows and orphans that are in dire need, who see nations that need to be saved and protected, who see absolutely, you know, children being trafficked. We go to watch a movie and we think that's it. That's it, we've watched the movie, I gave them 25 bucks. That's amazing, I've done my bit. Instead of saying, no, 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 if I could actually raise, if, I, if God has given me the power to be wealthy and I can transform cities through wealth, why do I not do that? Well, you know, I can't be trusted with wealth. Well, then give it to somebody who can. Just make it and give it to somebody who can. And I understand all these objections. Like, I totally understand them. We're, we're going to look at a property on Tuesday. I'm, it's okay, I'm not doing an offering. I'm not taking an offering. <laughs> we're going to look at a property on Tuesday, and it's terrifying me. Because I, like the Apostle Paul, have not arrived. Right, I haven't arrived there. It's like God placed this two years ago into our heart. <clears throat> and um, it's called Hilltop Winery. Right? So it's called Hilltop Winery. It's in a little place called uh, Valley Center in, in North County, San Diego. And God, two years ago, placed this under our heart to actually build a modern monastery. Right? It's a monastery for poets and prophets, Christ, uh, creatives and mystics. 
We want to have our Daniel company housed there. We want to, we do this Anchorite stuff, which is, you know, people that pray for businesses and all that. We want to have those there. We want to start this novice program. I, and fundamentally, I want to, I want to annoy every new ager in Southern California. That's, that's really at the heart of it. I know if you're if you have friends, family in the New Age movement, I'm I'm you know the, not that there is such a thing as the New Age movement. I hope you know that, but the sort of new thought thing, like I want to own the airwaves with worship and glory and joy and peace and all those things. I don't want to I don't want to own them with fear mongering and all that. I want to place it there so that we can own we can own the air. That's what I want to do, like prayer, worship intercession, mixing the ancient and the modern and doing all that. Like, it sounds great. We walked into this place two years ago as we were, we were protesting that they were selling wine. We were good Christians, so we were, we were just investigating um, the devil's vomit in the place. So um, that's what we were doing. And we walked in and said, this, this would be perfect. This would be perfect. So, about eight months ago, I went up for sale for $8 million. Uh, they've just reduced it this week to 6.3. An absolute bargain. <laughs> An absolute bargain, right? Um, I have $63. So, I'm going to multiply. No, but we're, we're, we're preparing to come to go to Bethel. And we're, we don't live in Reading. We're not super familiar with Reading, and Rachel said, "Lord, I'd like you. I'd like to have Hilltop mentioned five times." We we're having lunch with a couple of people from the senior leadership team in, in Bethel and um, Paul Manwaring, and we all open our sack lunches that they had provided for us. So there's many people around the table. One two, three, four, five, five people around the table. And we all reach into our sack lunches, you know, frozen chicken, salad, whatever it was, and we all pull out this 15% discount card to the Hilltop Diner. Five people. I need, I need it to be five times. This is like, we're... We're kind of two hours into our five days in, in Bethel. We're two hours into this, like God said, yes, yes. Right? I don't know if anything will come from it. I think sometimes all God wants us to do is be obedient. But, but I do know this. To me, now, you might be completely different, but $6.3 million is a lot of money. You might go, nah. It's December. That's <laughs> Black Friday, whatever. But, but just a lot of money. And, and the, the, the biggest obstacle for me is not the money, it's the mindset. Like, that's the biggest obstacle. And it's not this kind of like, yes, I believe it has to be authentic to me. Like, it, it can't be just like, yes, I believe, I believe, yes, ha, ho. Can't be any of that. It has to be authentic. Not that that isn't authentic, but you know what I mean? I, I have to be in a place where, where I know that this is God. And, and the only way I can get there is knowing His love for me. 
Because I can talk about all this abundant stuff all the time, and the only way I can get there is to realize what I want for my children. Like, who of you, when your children ask for bread, would give a stone? And if you who are evil, and I'm not, I could, I could tell you what that kind of really means. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, then how much more your heavenly Father? This, this is what I know. In a worse covenant with worse promises, he says that when you, when you enjoy your houses and your chariots and your land and all the things that he has given, when you're enjoying that, don't ever think it was you. Don't ever pat yourself on your back and say, wow, I have such business acumen. But remember, it is the Lord that gave you the power to be wealthy. Do you know, there's, we, we believe so much junk about, we believe so much junk about money. You know, and I, it's so much junk, like, yeah. Money won't make you happy. You've heard that one. Like, I've, I've cried in public transportation, and I've cried in my Porsche. I know which one I prefer. I've been depressed while staying in a leaking RV in Ireland when it's been raining for 16 weeks, it feels like. And I've been depressed on the beach in the Maldives. And I know which one I prefer. Because this isn't about getting your happiness from there. This is actually the blessings of the Lord. And, and we're told that God gives you the blessing of wealth and there is no sorrow with it. So I want to pray. I want to pray that we just break off this scarcity thing. That, that, that this isn't about... And I, I don't know how to figure it out. We're trying to build business. We're trying to build all that. We're trying to build generational wealth. We're trying to build all these things, right? Because God has actually anointed us to do it, has given the power to do it. And we're, we're, not, we're not trying. We're actually doing it. Um, but, but what happens is that we, how to put this very quickly, what happens is that we, are, we, we fool ourselves into thinking that we've arrived, that you've arrived. This is it. This is it. As it shall be, so shall it be. The great lie from the enemy. As it has always been, so it's going to be in the future. No, it's a lie from the pit of hell that there has to be hope, there has to be growth, there has to be, I have not arrived, have to, has to be a promise. I have not yet arrived, has to be hopeful. Right? So, so, so we're in this place and saying, okay, no, we're, we're still building, we're still doing this. There's a thing that, that means you have to do something that makes you feel incompetent. Isn't that fun? Doesn't that sound amazing? There's a thing in business called the Peters Principle, and the Peters Principle says this, you're always promoted to your highest level of incompetence. Anybody ever get promoted in a job? Anybody ever get stripes in their arms? Anybody do any of that and you realize in the first day of your job, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
right? That's what I'm talking about. And, and we have to keep that going when it comes to resources, money. We have to keep that going. Like, do, do, do you ever, my first, my first paycheck for 40 hour week was, I was 12 years old and it was 16 pounds 60. I got f like 41 pence an hour or something like that. Amazing. And it wasn't 100 years ago. And, and the, do you know what I did with it? I gave it all away. Because I didn't know how to handle money. So I gave it all away. And, and there's that bit that you think, oh, you know what would be great? Like six figures would be amazing. And you get to six figures and you realize, oh, I, I, there's a new level of learning. You with me? Like, and some of us have capped ourselves out with seven figures or eight figures, and we've, we've, we've tapped out of that and said, I've, I've arrived. I've arrived. I promise you, you haven't arrived. There's, there's widows and orphans. There's people we can actually... Listen, what about instead of picketing the billboards that say nasty things about divorce and, you know, cannabis or whatever you're objecting to, what about instead of picketing, we bought the billboards? What about, here's the thing, what about instead of complaining about the public school system, we just started our schools like they did with Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all those things. What if we just started our own instead of it's like, we need to stop this. No, let's just start our own. Yes. Let's raise up the billionaires that are going to just say, yeah, well, yeah, I like that. I like the idea of that. Yeah, we're going to start our own like unified school district right here. That'd be amazing. What about... If you didn't like all the medical stuff and all that and all the things that are going on, what if, what if we just started our own hospitals? That sounds like fun. That sounds like city transformation. But no, we want politicians to fix what we should be actually fixing because we have capped it off. We've stopped dreaming what it's going to be like. Let's stand. Yeah, so Father, I just want to declare an end to those days when the church will say, silver and gold have I none. That that was not a promise, right? That was not a promise. That was, a, that was not an indication of direction. That was not a lid that you placed on the church, but that we would actually be able to say that this is the place, that the silver is yours, the gold is yours. We'll quote those scriptures. And God, for, for that, you know, if we feel, sense, believe that when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, it means we have to go back into the wilderness, then God, I pray that you would forgive us for thinking like that. It is simply a, an act of humility of who our provider really is. Give us this day our daily bread is simply a humble recognition that you are the one that gives us the power to be wealthy. And God, I pray right now that you would release million dollar, $10 million, hundreds of million dollars ideas into us right here, right now that will change 
the course of generations to come, that will change the course of nations, of cities, that will actually alter the trajectory of this city and this region because you've birthed it in the church. Lord, I pray for a, I pray for the mantles, like the actual wealth mantles of, of, of the, the, the founding fathers even of this nation. <clears throat> but Lord, the wealth mantles of the Vanderbilts, of the Carnegies, Lord, I pray for that kind of anointing to be on us. God, give it to me. If none of these people want it, give it to me. Lord, I want to change nations. I want to change nations, Lord, the same way that you changed my family on May the 2nd, 1980. I want to see what it looks like when you birth those billion-dollar ideas in your church. And God, I rebuke scarcity in the name of Jesus. I rebuke it, I take authority over it right now, and I command it to go. You have no place in the house of God. Who? Oh. Oh. Who? Oh. And we, de we, de we declare that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Lord, that is our decree and declaration. It's what we're living by, that there is no lack in the house of God. Wouldn't it be fun, Lord, if you just started to do that this week? Yes. Lord, that we're not waiting like another six years for the promises. It would be really good fun. And please, God, listen, I'm sorry if this, I'm sorry, but please, God, don't let it be checks in the mail. Like, let it be billion-dollar ideas. Let, let it be those ideas, that, that entrepreneurial spirit that is God-ordained. Like the, the, the kids who are gonna sell stuff in school, not drugs, of course, but they're gonna come up with creative ideas to sell stuff to their peers, to make some money doing like these entrepreneurial endeavors. And God, for each one of us, even though that a lot of us are sort of trapped by the salary, by this sort of like golden handcuffs thing of provision, of daily provision, God, would you just give us opportunities? Give us opportunities. We don't even know how to make those opportunities at time. But Lord, I just pray right now. We're the entrepreneurs. We're the actual people that are doing businesses. I want, I want, put your hand right up. And if you're around them, I want you to go and lay hands on them. Like, put your hands right up if you're entrepreneuring. Look at all the people that are entrepreneuring. If you're around them, just lay hands on them. Just like, and God, I just pray the fire of God, the fire of God right now, the fire of God for, for business, that they would be able to create offers. God, I even pray that this Black Friday would be exceedingly abundantly more than they could even have imagined. Lord, double, triple seals coming into this season. Double and triple seals. Lord, because what, what we actually do by selling is that we're serving people. We're actually providing service to people. It's, none of us are selling snake oil. We're serving people, and God, I pray that our serving people would exponentially increase, that you would give us wisdom to create offers, wisdom to create offers, 
that you would give us kingdom-minded value price points, not bargain basement price points. That we would break out of the bargain basement mentality and become luxury. And God, just that this would, this would, be, this would be the day it all changed. Offers. Give us the mindset of a millionaire, of a multimillionaire to create offers. For the sake of the kingdom. Lord, for the sake of the least and the lost. For the sake of people that are hurting and are crying out to be an answer. And God, we want to be the answer. I, wa I want to be the answer. Yes. Downloads in the night, Lord. Dreams, downloads in the night. And God, I just rebuke the fear that I, I want to, I just want to rebuke any mindset that says you cannot be trusted with wealth. With wealth. I, I, I refuse and rebuke it. You, you, nonsense. Here's the thing. Are you prepared to be tested on it? Lord, test me. Test us, Lord. Test us to see that we can. That we can still walk in integrity, that we can walk loving you with abundance. It's the real test of a heart, you know. Lord, test us. That'd be a fun test. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, high five all the angels.